0: And this is where ChiliPad by SleepMe comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The ChiliPad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. ChiliPad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool, relief and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me/ftl to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offers exclusively available for the Love Listeners only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleepthat'ssleep.me/ftl because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead.
1: I think one of the big misconceptions in life is that you're either in pain or you're in a joyful season. And I think one of the biggest messages I've wanted to scream is that you can be in the midst of pain and still have some joy in it.
0: Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. Today, we're talking about how to laugh through the ugly cry with motivational speaker, Don Barton. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for hitting download today. You're going to be glad that you did because we are in a series right now called For the Love of Small Wins. The team and I were just like, this year, you guys, this year, (laughs) we need some victory. We need some joy. We need some hope. We need some good news. We need some small wins. And so we have Just put together such a great series of stories that inspire us and leaders who lead well, these searchers of joy finding a way to bring us along with them. And so we need it because 2020 has just kept pain and hardship flowing in constant waves, right? And there's no handbook. None of us were ready for this or practiced at this exact kind of year. And we find ourselves looking for guides. Looking around going, okay, who has experienced some real suffering? How did you get through it? And what should I be looking for? How can we do this well? So my guest today is someone who is offering us so much. She is showing up in her very own lifeboat to pull us out of the water and row us to shore. And she knows what she's talking about. So today I have Dawn Barton on the show. Dawn is a writer. She's a speaker. She's a self-appointed joyologist. We need that right now. Up until pretty recently, Dawn was ranked the number seven sales director in Mary Kay in the nation. And then took a leap of faith, left it all to write her first book, which we're going to talk about today, called Laughing Through the Ugly Cry, which, ugh. I wish that meant nothing to me. I wish I could not identify with that, but I can. I'm really glad that she wrote this down because she has a story to tell. She has been to hell and back several times. I'm not going to tell it all. I'm going to leave some of her story for the interview because I'm not kidding around. She knows suffering. And yet after all of it, Dawn tells us we can still find joy, literally even in the middle of it, in the excruciating part Before it's over. It's not this or that, or it's not this, then that. And I promise you, she doesn't say this in a tra-la-la way. This woman has receipts and you're going to want to hear what she has to say because she's funny too and warm and wise. And she offers us some really, really incredible lifelines today. And so I'm so happy you're going to get to know her better. I loved talking to her. We stayed on our on our recording both before and after talking and talking and talking even more. You're going to love this one, you guys. I'm so pleased to share my conversation with the warm and wonderful Don Barton. Okay, Dawn, hi, and I'm so happy to meet you and I'm so happy you're on the For the Love podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. I am
1: ridiculously excited to be here like
0: at a totally uncool level. <laughs> no, you're very cool and you're very cute and you look very put together and I'm really proud of your effort. I am. Thank you, I'm you so, so much. Proud of it. From
1: the boobs down is one thing and from the boobs up is another. It's just like I am, I am strong
0: from boobs up today. God, it's so real. My boob up game during quarantine has been pretty decent. I've been on point, man. Yeah. Yeah, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I told my listeners a little bit about you, a kind of high level it without kind of stealing a lot of your thunder. But before we get into your story a little bit, would you mind just for a couple minutes telling us in your own words, who is Don Barton? What is the sort of arc of your story and kind of where you are right now? Like, where are you in the world? What is your life? Who are your people? What is your deal? Absolutely.
1: So we live in Pensacola, Florida, but we live an unusual life in that we have a 23-acre property we sold our house. My mother-in-law sold her house and my parents sold their house. We put all of our money in a pile, picked up a few dollar bills on the streets so we could buy this one property and we all live here together. What? I know. So in my house is my mother-in-law and our 13-year-old, almost 14-year-old. And then in our guest house, is my parents. Then we have a couple of horses five dogs, three cats, and a partridge in a pear tree. So my life is beautifully busy. It's never boring around here. I'm never alone, which I would say, I didn't know I'd be somebody that would crave that so much. But I, if we're going to be completely vulnerable, I'm also in a season that I feel a little bit like a racehorse that's been put out to pasture. And I don't mean that as a pity play, but I mean to go from a life of just And I suspect a lot of people just from the COVID piece of things feel this way a little to go from a career, I was in direct sales for nine years and before that, just sales and marketing, just this chasing a number, chasing a goal, all of that. I was in Mary Kay Cosmetics, which had you asked me, I would have sworn I would never do because it was like for old ladies and I was just too cool for school. And on a fluke, I ended up in direct sales in that company. Fell madly in love with it. Probably had the biggest spiritual growth in my life because of that company. I know it really was because God will find you anywhere, right? And in my final year, we had broken a company record. I was the number seven sales director in the nation and we did big, wild, impossible things. And then I had a dream and God said, You're going to write a book. I'm like, Oh, no, I'm not. I don't even read them, I don't journal. I'm not your girl.
0: So life took a hard left turn, and here I am. I can only imagine what everybody said when you said, "You know, right here at the height of my career, I'm going to go ahead and step away because that feels like the they thought it was crazy. Prudent thing to do. Yeah, yes. Uh-huh. Did your family rally
1: around you? You know what's so great is that my husband was like, well, okay, uh, that was the biggest shocking. I feel like that like God worked in him at the same time, and my parents were pretty supportive as well. I don't know. I think shockingly, everyone in my inner circle was pretty okay. Some of my very best friends were like, please don't leave, please don't leave, because they were in it as well. And to leave your girlfriends, that was hard. And although I, two years later, I will tell you that they're still my best friends, and you know, that's, so okay. we still communicate. Yeah, they really are. I thought I would lose a lot of those friendships and I didn't. Because you, you do use that, lose that commonality of the career yeah. piece, you know, just like when you leave a job, that sure. we stayed close. And yeah, people thought I was crazy and that was okay.
0: Yeah, but here you are. And you knew and you listened and you made the right move, even when maybe on paper it didn't seem to be as obvious a choice. I want to talk about this because you've been through more in your life than most people would go through in 10 lifetimes. Really, I'm going to read something that you wrote. You said, I am someone who has lost a sweet, precious daughter. And after that, Had a divorce from a good and kind man, been raped, the assailant was caught, and we went through a full jury trial. I had stage three breast cancer and survived, but lost my baby sister to cancer just a few years later. My mother had a brain aneurysm. My husband battled with alcoholism. I know how it feels when you can't stop crying or when you've wept so much there isn't another tear inside. But I want you to know there can be joy in the tsunamis of pain. Oh, man. Wow, 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 wow. Ooh. Can you just talk a little bit more about this?
1: You know, I don't feel like... I think one of the big misconceptions in life is that you're either in pain or you're in a joyful season. And I think one of the biggest messages I wanted to scream is that you can be in the midst of pain and still have some joy in it. It's weird. It is, because... Recently, I lost my uncle in March, one of the great loves of my life. And it was right at the beginning of COVID. He had a massive heart attack and I was driving to Louisiana with my mom and I was crying that cry so hard that you can't, you just can't get that breath. You know, that that cry so hard, we pulled over. I had to pull over three times. We got to my aunt's house, we're hugging, we're crying. And 20 minutes later, we're laughing till tears came down.
0: It's so real.
1: That is joy in the midst of pain. And I think if I were to say the thing I wanted to, I wanted to write a book where I felt like I was, you know, talking to a girlfriend, that I was holding her shoulders, that I was hugging her, that I was also saying, you can choose to not be feeling like that. Now, I, I always want to say, I'm not talking about debilitating depression. You know, when we're talking about the chemical depression, that's a whole different subject. I'm talking about that we have a choice in a season of heartache where you have to say, today I'll take a shower. But on that, you also get to have a season of staying in bed. I don't think God means that for us for years on end, but there is a season for deep grieving. It's part of the process. It's part of what you're supposed to do. But then you have to choose to, to take some baby steps.
0: You and I were talking before we started recording. I am in Colorado right now with my kids, and you know we were talking. I'm in a, a season of such sadness and loss and suffering. It's going through a divorce, and we were riding bikes a couple of days ago um, in the mountains, which is absurd. It's like it's absurd here. You just get here and you just look around. And you're like, this is dumb. Why doesn't everybody live here? The kids are up ahead of me. They're hollering. They're they're absurd. They are absurd. They're laughing and making me laugh, and we're going through this like sort of can of tree canopy on our bikes and I'm in the back and I noticed like I'm like what's happening with my face right now so I'm grinning like I am smiling as big as a person can smile because it just everything is so beautiful and I'm crying like I've got tears like streaming backwards out of my eyes and I'm like how is what is happening like how am I literally laughing and crying at the same time like literally physically, biologically doing it. And you can, Yeah, you can.
1: I believe that that's God showing us that there is joy,
0: even when there is pain. There is. Mm -hmm. Before your breast cancer diagnosis, how long ago was that? Nine years. Yeah. A stranger told you, this is going to be the worst and best year of your life. That's a big thing to say to somebody facing a new diagnosis. So looking back, two things. What do you think she meant? And also, was she right? I think she meant What you're about to enter into is just hell, and
1: you're going to see the blessings from people. Now, was she right? No, because it was absolutely not the worst year of my life. It just wasn't. Do I want to do it again? No, absolutely not. But it wasn't the worst year because it was probably of all the other things I went through. It was the year that I most saw the love of strangers and the gifts of those that I knew shine through during my difficult times
0: oh man people that's just the magic isn't it like the way that people show up for us and are hurt it's almost too much it's almost like an embarrassment of riches and I can see how you could say in light of all that no that was not the worst year of my life even there with a the health scare you teach us both by living it and then you wrote it for us how to look for joy in things big and small even dead center in the middle of awful, I liked the stories that you told of two people who showed up for you really big during your cancer battle, which was your sister Jody, your husband Craig. Can you talk about those two and what they each did for you specifically in that in that part of your life?
1: Oh, uh, I don't know that I can talk about these two without crying. So here we go, because it was such deep, meaningful pivot points of my life. Jody, my sister who lives in Austin, and flew in. And when she flew in, I was at the very beginning of my chemo treatments. She came in 14 days after my first chemo treatment. Now, my oncologist had told me I was going to lose my hair from day 17 to day 19. I had that on the calendar. I am ready to mourn hair in three days and go, mourning of hair. You know, I have a terrible metabolism, but I have this really great hair. It's so much a part of my existence of a human. I mean, just just like I have hair. And I went to style it before she came in. It started just falling out in my hands, just so much hair. Then she came and she got in the car. She said, and she was like, are you okay? And I was doing the, no, my hair is falling out. It is not supposed to come out. You know, that
0: kind of. It's three more days.
1: I <laughs> said, let's go get some wine. Let's go get a, you know, a razor, we had an electric razor. And she, oh, first she did my initials in the back. We cut it short. She did, she carved my initials. Then she did a mohawk. But just that she made this horrible moment a moment of laughter. So there we are. I'm having the ugly cry, and she's making my hair into these ridiculous styles, and we were laughing, and it was. I felt so disgusting, so vile. So, when you tie so much of your existence to something as stupid as hair, and I did, and I'm not saying it's stupid. Don't get me wrong. It's part of who we are. But I was so wrapped up in that in this crazy kind of way. It was a great lesson for me because I became strong in that, hey, my bald head, is, it's not so bad. I, I don't mind it so much. But in that very beginning, right after that, my husband at the time was, he happened to go active duty that year. He's normally a commercial airline pilot, but he went active duty that year with the Navy and he was in Bahrain. And he was going to, ooh, this heart He was going to Skype me that day to see, you know, because I just lost all my hair. mm. And I was so embarrassed. I didn't want to. I remember trying to think of excuses as why not to Skype that day? What, what could I, you know, how could I get around it? And it rang, you know, I got on the camera and it was ringing and then he popped up and immediately he looked at me and goes, oh, you look so beautiful. And he never flinched. He never said anything wrong. And I put my hand on my head. I know. And I said, no, I don't. No, I don't. And he said, take your hand down. You are so beautiful right now. And that moment. I would have never had that moment in my life with that pure vision of love from him had we not been in the throes of cancer. I don't know that we would have had another moment where he could have shown love like that.
0: Mm. Well, okay, thank you very much, Jen. Everything's uh, fun. Everything's fun. Woo. That was so sweet. Thank you for telling that story. We're not crying, you're crying. <sighs> You said something on your Instagram that I saw, which I loved. You said, God can move mountains, but don't be surprised when he throws you a shovel. <laughs> uh, can you talk more about that? Because the truth is, sometimes we have to co-create our own small wins, even in the midst of the muck and the mire. We do. That's part of the deal. That's life. I know that's something you had to do while you had cancer. Can you talk a little bit more about that shovel and what that looks like in a human life? I
1: feel like I could talk about the shovel thing in a million different ways because the lessons, the journey, the gifts, they come out of the shovel moments. They don't come out of the aha, you know, oh, look at the mountain. It's all in the shovel moments, every single bit of it, whether that be taking a leap of faith and having no idea how to write a book And just taking the next step forward and believing with faith that he's going to put the next thing in front of you again and again and again, just to keep taking those steps. That is a shovel in hand. But when a person sits back and goes, well, he called me to write a book. I'm just going to wait and see. Oh, that is, you know, he called you to the whole journey. And he put you, you know, I had this pain in my life. Now I have this massive, heavy, awful shovel like in the beginning, it's so heavy, you can't even barely pick it up. Like you just can't. And then as the days go by, you can shovel a little bit more and you can shovel a little bit more. And all of a sudden those obstacles and that pain becomes a little bit lighter because you're able to move the pile a little bit. But I also want to say about pain that just like you and I just had this moment of crying over that memory, I can tell stories of losing my daughter and the rape and it will bring me to the moment of the pain that it it is in there. But I think the the gift in it all is learning that you still have those moments that you can help somebody else through, not at the time that you're in it. When you're in the mud, you don't be helping anybody because you got nothing to get. Through. <laughs> you're just a hot mess and just stay quiet. But after that, God puts us through th- you know, let's allows us to go through things. Let me say it that way. So that we are able to help the next person. And then that person helps the next person and the next person, the next person and how selfish of us to keep it inside so that we can't ever help anybody. You know,
0: we have to be able to help others. It's just true. The amount of women who are reaching their hands back to me right now, I can't even count them because they've been there. The ones who have been like, you're going to live, you're going to make it. You're not going to die. Keep going. This is what helped me. Like, they know because they lived, they know because they lived, they, they grabbed their own shovel and they're reaching back. And I already know, I already know I'm not there yet, but I already know my time will come to reach back to, it will. That's how it goes. That's how it works. And it's beautiful. Somebody
1: told me, actually, a, a doctor told me right in the beginning of the cancer journey, before anything started, he goes, and I was just leaving his office, he goes, oh, by the way, I had my hand on his door. I remember it so vividly. And I turned back and he said, you know, you're not going to die from this, right? And I thought, no, which was a stupid thing, by the way, for him to say. But the great thing that came out of that is I was never questioning mortality. I was just like, where you are right now, that you know what's ahead of you is hard. It's going to suck. It's going to be difficult, but you will come out the other end. You can do it. Yeah, you can come out the other end and you will laugh again, you know, great you know, what's the, what's the word, guffaw. <laughs> guffaw yeah. I, I was sharing that she, uh, your book taught me that word. But there will be ridiculous amounts of laughter and joy
0: in it and after it. What a good thing to tell somebody who's hurting, you know, just that glimmer of hope way down the road, somebody like holding up the lantern for you, you know, you'll get here, like you will, you'll laugh. Oh, speaking of laughter, I howled about the story that you wrote about your prosthetic breast that you named Lucky. I'm not gonna give everything away here because Lucky has a very climactic scene in the book, but I think this is yet another place where you show us how to find, and you can find these hilarious moments in some of our hardest moments. Can you talk a little bit about Lucky? Can you tell everybody about Lucky? Oh, uh,
1: Lucky, the prosthetic breast, the four pound prosthetic breast. I could have written a book on the adventures of Lucky because Lucky was so hot and heavy that Lucky got taken out and thrown on chairs at restaurants, doctor's offices, the back of the sofa. You know, there was a lot of, has anyone seen my boob? You know, those <laughs> kinds of conversations. But out of Lucky came again, ridiculous amounts of laughter. And I do, I still have Lucky. He is a little bit disintegrating, but I've since had reconstructive surgery. So I don't need Lucky anymore. But Lucky was one of those things that I had a mastectomy on the right hand side and I'm large breasted. So to have one totally flat and one side full was just, you know, devastating. Then to have the prosthetic, I was so excited in the beginning, but then lucky just had a way of and I, I say he because no, it had to be a he because a female would have stayed in place and not been hot. It would have been lovely, right? No, I am sorry. It's a he. So you I, did not I know how to behave, he, behave down there inside. No, that he bra. did not. No, yeah. he did not. And I remember being on an airplane and the flight attendant walking by and looking at me but kind of kept glancing down and I finally looked down at my collarbone and lucky was there. Lucky was not in my bra. Like he was just sitting there. He was creeping up
0: to your face. Yeah, just right
1: here, just there. Sure. And uh, so, yeah, Lucky gave me a lot of funny, funny stories, and that story that's in the book is, is the favorite.
0: It's worth the price of admission.
1: It is. It's totally, uh-huh. it's
0: totally. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm really happy now that you still have Lucky because I feel like if Lucky were mine, Lucky would find a lot of ways to appear, just unexpectedly in surprising places. I feel like Lucky would be like a companion. I feel like Lucky should be bedazzled. Yeah, yeah. This is what I'm trying to say.
1: Mm -hmm. Lucky should be bedazzled.
0: I'm going to really think on some ways that Lucky can like, you know, win at a party. Or I don't know. I'm just going to keep thinking about it. But I think there's some opportunity. Please do. So let me ask you this question. After going through so much of your own suffering, physical, emotional, what's it been like to watch people that you love struggle and battle with their own suffering, which you talk about your mother, your sister, with their own health crises. Again, you also talk about your husband's battle with alcoholism. How has that affected you having really lived so much of your own story and then to watch other people suffer and struggle? What have you been able to offer them in these moments that maybe you wouldn't have before?
1: probably not a lot, I'm going to be honest, because I'm a bit of a control freak. And it's just, it's so my, the, the great thing about being the the person in it is that you are in control of it to a degree. And what's so awful, and I truly believe it's so much harder for those on the outside to be witness to the, yeah, to the pain. You know, my mother had a brain aneurysm that burst, she was a CPA, and she was sitting at her desk, and she just fell over with a slurping noise and my father called 911 really fast they got her to a hospital she spent a month in ICU and I I loved that season because I loved the care that I was not loved that, that it happened to her but I loved the care I was able to give her and that gift of being able to experience something so intimate with someone I loved so deeply my sister cancer brought us closer together and she died unexpectedly in her sleep. But cancer was a gift yet again, because it, it brought us on this common ground. We weren't terribly close. We were just very different people. We didn't hate each other by any means, but we were just different. And cancer brought us so close together. And then the alcoholism with my husband, Who he's been sober more than five years now. Wow. But, you know, when that, that statement of it'll be the worst year and the best year of your life, the worst years of my life were the, the alcoholism. To, to be honest with you, and he wasn't abusive, but definitely verbally, it wasn't it wasn't nice. And I would say, especially when you're dealing with any kind of addiction, that you truly cannot change it, you cannot cure it, you cannot you did not cause it, you know those kind of things. So that one was hard to be on the the outside of and realizing you just have to become strong in who you are as a person and make that decision: do you stay? Do you go? What is best for for me? And that. That was hard. And I will tell you this. I did not believe there was any way God could cure that, could heal that, could, could take the pain that we had and make it whole again. There was just no way. There was so much pain, so much anger, so much hurt. And we're happier today than we've ever been.
0: Oh, man, that is really powerful. And five years sober is a really big deal. It is. And even yeah. almost a bigger deal is healing out of what feels like. Impossible brokenness. Impossible. Even when you think, even if you stop drinking, there's still, yeah. I really appreciate your candor talking about that. I feel like that's a really common experience. I don't hear as many people talk openly about there's why ever stigma around it, shame, fear, worry. I don't really know, but I really appreciate your willingness to talk about your relationship and what that has looked like in the healing. You also have two beautiful daughters. You've got Mackenzie, you've got Elson.
1: How old are they? almost 14 and almost 31. So they're
0: 17 years apart. Oh, I love raising daughters. I even love raising daughters through your own personal suffering. I'm learning about that right now. What do you think you've been able to teach your girls about resilience? And have you seen that play out in their lives already? I mean, I realize they're two very different ages, two very different seasons of life. It might look really different, but how have you seen sort of that seed of resiliency in their lives.
1: I hope that I have taught them that we can have really awful things happen and you figure it out, Buttercup, and you keep going. I think that would be if my daughters ever experienced traumatic things and stopped and stopped. You know, again, it's okay to stop for a season, it's not okay to stop for a lifetime.
0: It's good that mm-hmm. keep going part. Yeah, just that you keep everything. going and keep going.
1: And, I mean, on a side note, they're both competitive, and I kind of like that.
0: Oh, so do I. Yeah, I like a good, confident, competitive girl. I was born that way. So I just, yeah, I, do. I love to see a little bit of a spicy girl, you know, who's got a little bit of grit to her, prepared to go to the mat. I, I love that personality. Resiliency is a big deal. I mean, it really is. The, the capacity to, to go on to continue and to hang on to your own integrity in the middle of your own suffering. It's, I can't think of anything more valuable and resiliency gives us that gift to be able to say, even now, this is who I am. These are my values. This is what I care about. This is who I will be. I will not let suffering steal me from my own self. I will still be who I am inside of it is powerful. If we teach our girls that we've done our jobs, honestly. Honestly,
1: I remember talking about this elderly woman who I loved and adored and she was telling the story of that she had her knees were more skinned than anyone else's because she had failed and fallen down more than anyone else had. She had been successful in what she did, and, but not just in successful in on business, but in her life. And she said, because she was willing to fail and she had the most skinned up needs of anybody.
0: Those are my favorite human people. Those are the ones that I trust. Those are the ones that I do not feel like I have to hide from or pretend for. Tragedy also teaches us, it takes us back to this
1: core really fast. And now that whether that be of what's important to us, because it'll strip away everything else that we've been worried about from like, what's my post on social media or what's so and so doing with her hair, it rips all of that away and it takes you really close into what matters in your life. And usually it's five people or two, you know, it all it is, is, is these humans, these, your children and your family and,
0: and your God and everything else is gone that gift of clarity is an interesting one to hold your hands open to because it does do that you're right a lot of stuff falls away which can really serve us moving forward in recovery to go okay what did I learn about what matters and doesn't matter and how can I build a life around that like I'm actually grateful for that too I I it's so weird the lessons that come out of it all if you're paying attention if, you'll if be you pay attention to help, yeah mm-hmm. showing up for other people when they're hurting, when they're suffering is is something we always should do. And it's definitely happening in 2020. This is a weird year and a hard year. One thing that I love about the way that you, what you say in leadership is that you kind of give everybody permission to show up in ways that may or may not fit the traditional view for women, whatever that is, you know, that we're fully attentive nurses to our person who's going through something or that we bend our own universe, you know, sort of around what's happening for them. You tell us, lean into your own gifts and give to others from that place, which is, I really like this perspective and I think it's super important. Can you talk a little bit more about it?
1: Yeah, that whole chapter in my book came from one single Facebook post that somebody posted and she said, now that I have cancer, I know who my real friends are. And I remember, I thought, no, you don't. You absolutely do not. What you can see is those who have, and, and I also wonder, did I write that chapter for myself <laughs> to let myself a little off the hook? Because I am not the person who is going to bring you a meal. I am not the person who, I don't have those caregiving gifts. I, w- I, w- I don't even know that I wish I did. It's just not who I am. I, you know, when I was sick, my closest girlfriends, one of them does, but she lives out of the state, but they just don't have that gift either. It's just not who they are. I never once doubted their love for me and their affection for me because they did or didn't bring me a meal or clean my house. Now, what God did send with was like an army of people who did have that gift. And my closest friends, were they weren't there and they weren't as present. But did they still talk to me? Yes. But if I would have taken the stance that because you are not bringing me meals and you are not, you know, cleaning my house or taking my kid and doing things, therefore you don't let me know. We need to take it from the stance of look at God go, like look at what he does. Look at who he brings us if we allow ourselves to see it and give our friends grace that That just may not be their strength, or they may not know what to say. Or I'll never forget being in a circumstance where a friend of mine was diagnosed, and I say friend, we weren't super, super close, with cancer, and I didn't hardly reach out at all. And it was because Craig and I were in the throes of this alcohol time. My world, I was hanging on by a thread, and the thought of taking anything else in was more than I could take. Now, did that person know that? Absolutely not. So, did I end up looking like a schmuck? Probably so. But I'm saying you don't know what's going on. You have to give grace and let somebody go if they don't reach your expectation of what should have happened when you weren't 100%.
0: Hmm. I love that because there are actually a lot of ways to love somebody through their own crisis. And they don't always look, that's one category, but there are other categories. As you're saying that, I'm doing a Rolodex right now, thinking through different ways friends and people have loved me well recently and it runs the gamut. Yeah. It just absolutely runs the gamut and it all matters. And it has all been really meaningful to me and super important. And so I like that, taking some of the should out of what loving a person through their pain looks like.
1: One of my favorites was when somebody would just say, I don't know what to say or do, but I love you and I am so sorry. I just, I don't have perfect words. I don't, that was my favorite. Be real with me. Be honest with me. I love that. I love my friends climbing in a bed with me. Have you had that?
0: Someone just came over and just climbed. Have I ever. Is that not the best? Oh, that is the best. I mentioned earlier, you know, we're we're in Colorado right now. I'm with Colorado with the kids. And one of my friends sent an like a manila envelope. And inside were a bunch of envelopes. I'm like, first of all, how'd you get this address? Second of all, what are these envelopes? It's, there's no fussing around. There's not a lot of fluff, not a lot of like flowery words, not a lot of, just like each of my kids' names. And she just sent them spending money. And I'm like, that's so nice. Like that is so nice. That is the best. Yes. Give these envelopes to your kids. Save us some spending money so they'll stop asking you for money every five seconds while you're in Colorado. <laughs> that's it. Just an plain manila envelope. And I'm like, that's the best. Just the best. Let me ask you this. When things are hard, when things are going sideways, Is there like a place or a practice or a way in which you know this is how and where I can look for joy? This is what to do. Other than carbs, right? Well, I mean that's I thought that was a given. Yeah. I just thought that was like (laughs) number one. But what about number two?
1: I gotcha. There is no one formula for me because it changes with what is going on. So I know that there was a season when I had to be so on purpose about seeking joy, about seeking happiness, that I actually got strategic about it. I started writing down a list of things that brought me joy, like just one word. And like, I remember one was the color coral. One was, you know, a particular scent, a smell. And then I started looking at that list and the list got longer, 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 like things that make me happy. And I think I'd lost a little bit of what in the heck makes me happy. Then I put together a playlist. I know that sounds so cliched, but I needed to hear the Go-Go's are on that playlist. Vacation all I ever wanted. I mean, that just makes me happy. (laughs) makes me happy. Yeah. You know, those were seasons of being proactive about it. I want to be this woman that has a daily practice of waking up and being in prayer and being in my Bible and doing all the things that were taught as this perfect Christian woman that we had this quiet time. And I'm not particularly spectacular at it. So, I feel amazing on the days that I do that. I try very hard to be with God as much as I possibly can. For me, and where we live, I talk to God a lot when I walk I think I argue with God a lot. Sure, me too. Yeah, I question. But those conversations always bring me joy. Being with Him always brings me joy.
0: And I've learned to... Take expectations off of even that connection because I was also taught sort of a formula like, first you pray and then you systemically read Romans. Like, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? There was just a way in which you were supposed to connect to God that the good ones did. But I have found it to be way wider and wilder. And less formulaic than that. Like right now, what it kind of looks like for me and God is he's like, hey, and I'm like, I don't want to talk. And he's like, okay, well, I'm here. That's what it looks like right now. That's as far as we get. And I'm like, that's fine. You just be here, but I don't want to talk. And that still counts. And that still feels like connection. And that still feels like there's a joy inside of it, even if I'm in a, a bit of a standoff. And I love the freedom inside my adult faith. I love it. I love it. I love what it offers. I love what feels true and nourishing about it, even if it doesn't literally check any boxes at all. You brought tears to my eyes when you said that. In fact,
1: it's it's right there because it's such a true feeling of I love you, but I am so mad at you because I don't get how you took, you know, a baby from a mommy. I am so angry. And actually in that season of my life I very much kind of turned from him and you know, he's so great and that. he's so bossy and he's so there and you know and I love it but that it does look different every time my intimate deep I think you will find in the season that you're in you'll probably have the deepest relationship you probably will ever have with him because I think in our valley we get him at a different level than we do on our mountaintops it's true you know and that's the great gift that comes with the valley moments is this beautiful relationship because it's so raw and it's so not formulated and then we're going to do this and then this and then it is a raw real from my gut conversation of I love you but why or I don't even know if I love you you know but why and that is where the uh, faith that I mean when people talk I don't I don't know I didn't grow up with this formal Christian education, I, I tell people that my, my faith was born in, in the trenches. You know, it was born in those moments of laying in bathtubs, crying out to him to take this, to help me, to, and that's where I got to know him best.
0: Well, that's a sermon right there, and it's true. One wonderful thing about suffering is that you discover that you can press really, 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 really hard on your faith, and it will hold. Oh, yeah. It will hold, and it can handle it, and it can handle pain and anger and fury and a standoff and live to tell. And so yes, we'll see. I'm still in the I-don't-want-to-talk-about-it phase, so you just sit there. Don't talk to me. But see where that goes. And that's okay. That's, a,
1: that's my biggest thing I want to tell you. That's okay. Yeah
0: he, can, yeah. he can take it. Let me wrap this up with you. This series is obviously about small wins and how to find them, how to see them, how to celebrate them. I love your gratitude list. I think that is a beautiful, absolutely free practice that can change us can just change us all of a sudden because we, we find what we're looking for. I love that you said that. So these are questions we're asking everybody in the series. Here's the first one. What's something you've been grateful for this year, even in 2020, the dumpster fire of 2020?
1: Well, mine is that my whole, you know, other than my daughter, the firstborn and her husband and the kids, they, they live about an hour and a half away, but everyone else is right here. And so in this season of where we're worried about, I just had them all right here. That
0: is nice. Last question. Everybody gets this one every series, and you can answer it however you want to answer it. What's saving your life right now? Right now,
1: today, it's it's actually my relationship with my husband. You know, we're just a couple of days off of uh, a hurricane, and again, in just a traumatic moment, short lived as it was, everything was stripped away, and you remember what matters most. So, what's saving me is that friendship with him. And even my 13-year-old is a different teenager than the last one was, although I am spoken to often as if I am the world's biggest idiot because, you know, duh, she's such a joy. So they are definitely saving me in this season of where I feel like, like I said in the beginning, maybe this racehorse that was put out to pasture. It's just that God's using me in different ways. That's saving me.
0: Yeah, That's so much. Well, you, just before we get off here, can you... Tell my community where to find you, where to find your book, what your socials are, all that good stuff.
1: You can buy my book wherever books are sold, you know, all, all the Amazons and the Barnes and Nobles. And it's a gift book, so it's actually at a lot of, of your local gift stores. And you can find me on social media. I'm active every single day on Instagram. I get up in the morning and have a little visit with you. I answer all my own messages. And you can find me at Don R. Barton. I think that sounds a little like a R as a sailor, but it's Don R. R Martin on Instagram and on Facebook. So I'd love to connect.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, everyone's going to come connect with you. And we'll link up for everybody so they can they can find you easily. I want to thank you for your just being who you are. And for the great authenticity that you share your own story, which you didn't have to do that. You did not have to do that, but you have taken your own pain and recovery and made it a gift for everybody else. And that is really meaningful, really, really meaningful. And I, I honor your courage to do it. And I thank you for what you've offered people who are hurting, something like a glimpse from the other side, if you will, a roadmap a little bit, tools to use even in the midst of pain and so I know it's meant a lot to me and it's going to mean a lot to my listeners too and so just delighted to have met you so glad thank you you, you just had a hurricane and you're having a podcast with me like you also could have been like Jen just know <laughs> just know too hard right now
1: I that was so not gonna happen I would have driven to like wherever there was I'm like I'll move over I got a podcast no 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 <laughs> This is a full circle moment for me. So thank you for the pleasure and the honor of of being able to share and thank you for the moment. It was a blessing to see that what I went through could be a blessing to you. So thank you, sweet friend.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Dawn. Okay. I hope that served you like it did me. There's something so comforting about hearing from someone who has suffered and is still full of joy, full of life, full of hope and possibility and faith. It's just encouraging. It's so encouraging. Even if we just kind of look at them down the road and see what's possible, see the potential in our own pain, really appreciated Dawn's candor and her willingness to share some of the worst moments of her life with us as light in the path toward our own joy and recovery and love and goodness. I know I am super, super grateful. As always, if you go to com under the podcast tab, I'll have everything for you. Dawn's book, her socials, everything, one-stop shop. And also, if you haven't already subscribed to the show, it'll just show up for you. You don't even have to try for it. Week after week, which we love to do for you, Laura and her incredible production team and amanda and i love you we love this show we love this community and it's our joy and honor to bring it to you every single week so until next time you guys have a good one